Former State Senator Jamila Nasheed just completed a very eventful tenure in the Missouri General Assembly. The St. Louis Democrat combined an activist streak with pragmatic legislating. And on this edition of Politically Speaking, Nasheed looks back at some of the key moments of her legislative career and looks forward to the future of St. Louis politics. Let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, the definitive show about Missouri politics. It's a little complicated in Bolivar because there is a Parsons family there. But we also knew that it was important to make sure that that we got to where we needed to go. You know if you walk in a room and you're getting ready to make a decision and everybody in the room looks like you, you need to stop. And right now what happens in the United States Senate is as critical as anywhere else in the country. I really want the state to succeed. We want everybody to uh, know that we're all working together. I just worked hard to try to build my name where I didn't have the money. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, St. Louis Public Radio political correspondent, Jason Rosenbaum. Joining me from her home in St. Louis, the now former state senator from Missouri's 5th Senatorial District. Jamila Nasheed. Thank you so much, Senator, for joining me. This is going to be another exit interview uh, of Politically Speaking, because I have found that talking to former lawmakers about their time in Jefferson City tends to be sometimes more interesting than talking about the things when they're in office, because they can be a little bit more candid. Because you were, you were always very, you know, close to the vest and cautious when you were in the legislature, Senator. Oh, absolutely. You know, I uh, I can truly say that I can say whatever I like right now. You know, I'm done. I don't have to be politically correct anymore. <laughs> so th- there are a number of things about uh, your tenure that I think were, were notable from a historical standpoint. Uh, you are the first senator from the 5th District to serve the entire eight years since Jet Banks. Uh, and thank God, no scandals. I uh, wasn't planning on having any scandals, but I came out of the Senate as well as the House with no political scandals. And that is sometimes very hard to do uh, while serving in the legislature. You, uh, were you the first Muslim senator as well? I wasn't the first Muslim to serve in the Missouri uh, Capitol. Uh, Rodney Hubbard, as you well know, he's Muslim. Uh, T.D. Elamine, Yafet Elamine, all Muslims. But I was the first to serve in the Senate. The other thing, too, that I think maybe we can touch on is there's been a lot of talk about Cori Bush going from activism to elected office. Uh, and that has happened, you know, in the last couple of years with Bruce Franks, John Collins Muhammad, Rasheen Aldridge. You were kind of the precursor to all that. You were an activist for many years before you ever ran for anything. Yeah, Senior Clay was doing it way before his young young Turks were, right? I was just going to— uh, He literally I wa- went to jail for the Jefferson Bank, you know. I was going to say, but it is, but this does happen in cycles, and I'm glad you mentioned Bill Clay Sr., who I, I think very highly of. I've been reading a lot of his books. I understand. I'm not naive. Uh, he wasn't universally beloved when he was office, and Lacey Clay obviously wasn't either. And uh, I wasn't it, either among some it, of my party it, members. But let's talk about that. How did the transition from activism to elective office go for you? Because from the outside looking in, some people may be surprised that you had this, you know, activist past because they may be like, wow, Jamila Nasheed, you were you were way too conciliatory with Republicans or you tried to compromise too much. But it did seem like the two 
sides of your 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 persona intertwined quite a bit, which made you such a fascinating person to cover. Yeah. Well, let me just say this here. You know, uh, while serving in the legislature, I knew that, you know, I had to work across party lines. OK, uh, when you are an activist, you, you really there's no there's no room for negotiating. OK, you're going to let my people free or you're going to let my people go or we going to jail. OK, and that's how it is on the ground. OK, but when you up there and you and you're legislating, I mean, and you and you're trying to pass legislation and you're trying to get things done, you know, there's going to be a, a lot of a lot of give and take. And so, you know, I had to find that middle course that it, it was not going to always be uh, my way or no way. You can do that. You can do that. You can you can put the pedal uh, to, to the metal when you're out on the street. And when you when you when you agitating, aggravating, and advocating on the street level, you know, I mean, you can take it to the extent where you say, "Listen, I'm going to do civil disobedience. I'm going all the way out for the purpose of, of of making sure that my people, who I represent, get their fair share when it comes to equity." On a state level, you have to be a little bit more pragmatic. Okay, you have to figure out, okay, if if I'm going to get this bill passed, that is going to help. Uh, the urban league. If I'm gonna uh, put billions of dollars in the budget to help urban league, then I can't be throwing grenades, okay? If I wanna be able to help Mission St. Louis and the young men coming out of prison to try to find uh, their place in society after re-entering re society, I'm gonna have to figure out how I can be more diplomatic. And so that's what I was able to do. And as a result of being able to do that, I was instrumental in uh, passing various pieces of legislation that impacts the quality of life for the people that I represent in the fifth senatorial district. I'll give you one good piece of legislation that was a nuisance property legislation where we have individuals who live out of state, they own property in the fifth senatorial district, they don't keep the property up, okay? Very hard to find. So what I was able to do was pass legislation where individual organization, war organizations can go after those individuals because of uh, a nuisance and that they're bringing their property values down. So that the type of legislation that I have been able to pass, Harris-Stowe State University, for the first time in history, Harris-Stowe, out of 150 years, they didn't have the right to offer graduate a degree. But, you know, Jason, you know, I'm just saying that, you know, in order to be able to get things done uh, while you're in the control of the Republican House, the Senate and uh, the super and, and the super majority, as well as uh, the, the governor's mansion, the Republicans control everything in the state of Missouri. There is no way, you know, in a million years, I could have gone in there and stayed the way that I once were as an activist throwing grenades, no compromise, because I mean, it was either my way or no way when I was out there uh, being lifted up off the railroad tracks uh, for minority inclusion during the, uh, the, um, the Metrolink expansion. Well, you know, it, it's interesting that we, we started off this conversation this way, because when I first started covering Missouri politics, it seemed like the conflicts, especially in black St. Louis politics, were completely different than what they are now. Like when you ran against Robin Wright Jones in, in 2012, you two had pretty different views on a lot of things. It was really a, a it, it was really a 
it really seemed like it was a battle of ideas and differing ideas and differing perspectives. It seems that now that you're out, it's less about what the, whenever there's a big primary or a big fight, it's, it's less about ideas and more about personalities. That's been my observation. Have you found that too? Or do you really think that there are dividing lines on issues? Yeah, it's kind of shifting towards identity politics now, so to speak. Uh, but when, when I was coming up uh, and I ran against Robin, you know, uh, Robin, she had the same type of issues that was concerning to her that's concerning to me. I mean, especially when it comes to uh, the quality of life for the most indigent people here in the city of St. Louis. And I say that, you know, the difference between Robin and myself is I come from from nothing. I come from the Doris Webby housing projects. You know, I was able to see the indigent. I was able to see how indigent people live. You know, I, I, I was impoverished. So I cannot I can only just sympathize. I can empathize because I lived it. You know, you know, I, I was. I was waiting on my grandmother waited on a once a month check, which was probably about three hundred dollars a month, you know, to feed uh, four children, you know. And so I understand that, you know, in order to be able to change a narrative and change people's lives, it starts with policies. You know, policies, they are direct correlations to what's happening in everybody in everyday people's lives. When you have young men coming out of prison, knocking on the doors of opportunities and the doors are slammed in their faces because they have a stigma of being an ex-felon and they walk towards that door and they can't get a job. That's why I had to change the policy. I had to be able to say, even if you have been convicted of a felon, you should be able to write on an application without having to put a stamp of approval that you was an ex-felon and they throw it in the trash can, you know? So those are policies that had to be changed, you know? And so what we're seeing happening right now is a lot of people moving towards identity politics. It's who I know, who I'm familiar with, you know, who I can align myself with because the same thing, the same policies we've been fighting for decades, uh, increases in wages, pro-choice, pro-life issues, gun rights issues, health uh, equality, all of those issues and all of those policies have been the, the, the battleground for both Republicans and Democrats for decades. What I pride myself on was making sure that I did things on a state level that impacts the people that voted me in. Well, you know, and I think I've asked you about this before. Um Obviously, like raising minimum wage is like a big um, democratic drawing point, as is Medicaid expansion. It's a, it's a wedge. I call it wedge issue. Now, but the interesting thing about that is both of those actually happen via ballot initiatives, but they but a lot of people wanted them on specific years in order to like help Claire McCaskill or or, or to help Nicole Galloway. They they wanted them to be turnout mechanisms rather than actual policy achievements. Maybe they wanted the policy achievements with the turnout mechanisms too. But isn't that kind of a cynical way of like pursuing major policies like that? Shouldn't you want to pass the policy because it's good policy? Not that it's going to get a half of a percent more for, for Claire McCaskill or Nicole Galloway. Or do you think that that sort of political cynicism is worth it if you end up raising the minimum wage or expanding Medicaid? Well, I think if you, if you can get two for one, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. 
you know, and, <laughs> you know, so I'm a firm believer, you know, a, a two is better than one, especially if we can get a, a congresswoman and a minimum wage increase, why not do it? Okay. And so, uh, however, I don't think that we, if we, if we knew that we were able to be able to get it done in the, uh, in the state house, I don't think we should pay, play. I don't think we should play politics with any policy, a ballot initiative, if we know that we can get it done. But if you can't get it done, a lot of people now are moving towards uh, ballot initiatives because uh, it's very difficult to get anything done on a state level with the Republicans controlling the House, the Senate, and the Governor's Mansion, as well as the supermajority. Because again, if Democrats were in office. They would be pushing their agenda, too, with the supermajority. The first time you were on Politically Speaking in 2013, you were actually the second guest, by the way. You mentioned that your biggest regret was voting to repeal campaign donation limits. Yes. But here's the thing, and I, I'm, I'm sorry if this comes off as an opinion, but I think it's an objective fact. They did pass campaign donation limits via ballot initiative, and everybody agrees that it's been an abject failure. Let me just say this here. I don't think yeah. it worked, but I don't, I don't, I don't feel like every day I think about it, I voted for it. I don't, I didn't want that in my head that Jamila voted to lift campaign limits, right? Well, you did. Well, obviously, but obviously, continue. And, and, and I regret it, Jason. Jason, I regret it. And to this day, I always say that that was a, a, a poor, that was a poor uh, 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 um, piece of legislation that I voted on. OK, now what we had before then, you had individuals like a Rex Sinkfield that can have 100 committees and there was no transparency whatsoever. Now, all you have to do is create a pack. OK, and you can get as much money as you want from these packs. It's farcical. It's farcical because you can just literally have somebody create a pack. You could tell a Rex Singfeld to donate a million dollars to that pack, and that pack could spend a million dollars of ads helping you. I'm sorry, but Amendment 2 in 2016 was an absolute failure. And I think it's kind of showcases the limits of doing ballot initiatives, because I know we just went through this whole situation with clean Missouri, which I know you were a supporter of where, well, we got to respect the will of the people. And, and it basically made this idea that ballot initiatives were sacrosanct and we shouldn't change. Well, I think everybody would love to change Amendment 2 from 2016 because it's just completely ineffective. Well, you know, I think that sometimes ballot initiatives can have unintended consequences. And, and we see it and we see it often uh, during ballot initiatives to the extent where you have to sometimes go back and, and, and fix it uh, on a legislative level. And so sometimes, you know, you know, ballot initiatives can have unintended consequences. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, uh, the people voted for it. And if they want to change anything that they have voted for that are now having unintended consequences, they should take it back to the ballot. And vote and vote against it. We'll be right back after this quick break with former Senator Jamila Nasheed. And we're back on Politically Speaking with former state Senator Jamila Nasheed. She is a Democrat from St. Louis. So I kind of want to delve into St. Louis politics because I know that uh, from talking with you offline, uh, you're 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 best known as like a legislator that has, as, as you mentioned, been very effective at uh, passing things and getting money for things. But you also seem to be very much uh, enamored with St. Louis politics. 
uh, and and also like on a local level. Like I've had conversations with you about like the inner workings of the board of aldermen. It's like you've been in the board of aldermen for like 20 years. You know pretty much everything on that point. It's it's I now live in St. Louis County and St. Louis County politics has become very fractious and controversial. Where do you kind of see the the, the state of play for St. Louis politics right now? Obviously, there's going to be a mayor's race coming up pretty soon. Yeah, I want to hear your opinion on that. Well, we're about to see some drastic changes here in the St. Louis area when it comes to politics. Uh, we're about to see something that we have never seen before. Uh, it's going to be uncharted waters. It's going to be new for everyone. Uh, what we're talking about is uh, reducing the Board of Aldermen to 14. What we're talking about is uh, redistricting, where a lot of the wars may have to merge where you may have to see state reps running against other state reps. You may see aldermen running against other aldermen, which is going to be ugly all across the board. And then you all have a new mayor. You're going to have a new mayor uh, that's trying to recover from a pandemic. So it's going to be some uncharted waters here. And so in order for you have to be a, a very methodical a thinker and a leader in order to be able to juggle all of those balls. And you have to be... You have to be one that knows how to build alliances and coalitions. And if you're not able to do that, as especially as a mayor, uh, this city will wind up looking like Detroit. And, and I hope that that doesn't happen. And I hope that that is not the case. Uh, but we, but we, we have to, we need someone that is gonna be able to look at all of the dynamics that's about to happen within the next five to 10 years and see how one is going to be able to juggle those balls, bring people together for the betterment of this city so that we can so that so that so that we can have a, a place where they talk about working, playing and, and having fun in. So let's talk about the mayor's race. By the time that this podcast airs, the mayor's race will be set. There are going to be a number of candidates under this new system where you can vote for as many people as you want. I, I think this is going to be fascinating because the first round of, of elections is going to be who can make it to the April runoff. And I do think that Lewis Reed is well positioned to be one of those people just because I think he has appeal both in North St. Louis and South St. Louis. Uh, I think the bigger question is whether it's going to be Tashara Jones or Kara Spencer, who's that second person. I think Tashara Jones ha also has that crossover appeal. But Kara Spencer has never run citywide before, so I don't I don't know if she has that. How do you? I I think that you you would been you've been a supporter of Tashara Jones, but uh, but I do want to hear kind of your breakdown of of where this race goes from here. Well, I think that uh, the uh, two top vote getters that will move on to the general election will be Tashara Jones and Lewis Reed. Uh, both of them are statewide uh, 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 office holders. Well. So sure, the statewide, citywide, you mean? Yeah, and so I think that, and they all they run statewide, okay. Both to Shar and Lewis as president as treasurer, so they both have name ID, okay. They have name ID. Uh, people uh, to Shar ran before in the past. I mean, she always she she gets a lot of earned media, even though it's negative, but it's some earned media is always good. Just spell her name right. OK. And so and so so people know who she is. Right. I think that the telling the telling um, factor is going to be the general primary. OK. The general primary is where all hell breaks loose. OK. That's going to determine the next mayor. 
okay? And 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 when and 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 the general primary, I mean the general, not the primary, the general election. I can't, I meant to say the general election, so it was a general election. But in the general election, you're gonna have Tashara Jones and you're gonna have Lewis Reed. My prediction. Now the question is this. Who's sophisticated to go after all of those other individuals that was in the race to try to get them, their people to jump on board with their candidacy? That's going to be that, that's a really interesting point, because in the general, let's just say uh, the, the whole vote for whoever, whoever you want or how many people you want doesn't take hold and people just vote for one person which is a very strong possibility. Well, the people that voted for Spencer and Jones are going to consolidate. But I think what the so-called progressives really need to be mindful of is that it's not a traditional mayor's race. It's not a situation where Lewis Reed needs to win 60% of Southwest St. Louis and he's the mayor. All he needs to do because he has support in North St. Louis is he needs to win 50, 52%, 53% of Southwest St. Louis. And if he wins large parts of North St. Louis, that's enough. I think that he has a lot of advantages going into this race that people need to understand. But so does Tashara Jones or Spencer, too. They have advantages, too. Be but look, take a look at, but just take a look at my race. Take a look at my race with a uh, Board of Ottoman president with Lewis Reed, right? Uh, Lewis, I, I won 13 wards, right? Lewis won five wards and, and won the election. Okay. So if those individuals in the five wards that he that he won in the when he ran for president, if they come out in a way that they came out for him during the time that he was trying to uh uh hold his post at the board of aldermen as president and bring in the central corridors, grab a little bit from the central corridors and grab a little bit from North St. Louis. That's a possibility that he can win. But Lewis, 60% of the people in uh, the Board of Aldermen race voted against Lewis. Lewis won with Lewis won with 40% of the vote. Okay. I won, I had 30%. Uh Meg, Megan Green had 29 point something, don't quote me. And Lewis had 40%. Now, if Tashara can get my votes, the, all of the votes that I've received, because I got over 50% in North St. Louis. She's going to have to cover over 50% of North St. Louis. And she didn't do that. But that's the thing. She did not do that in 2017. Lewis Reed, who came in third, won a lot of North St. Louis in 2017. And this time, I, I don't really like using the whole establishment versus progressive label because I think it kind of really oversimplify St. Louis politics, but he is going to have the establishment financial and organizational support that Cruson had. Like clearly the fact that Jack Coder and Greg Daly are not running, that organization is going to go to Lewis Reed. And if he has a more well-organized and well-financed campaign than he did in 2017 or 2019, um, he's formidable. But I also think Tashara Jones is formidable too. Because she, she she was attacked pretty substantially last year, and she won overwhelmingly. Um, and I'm not going to just say that Kara Spencer has no chance either, in in because she has a lot of significant support too. And this is what I don't want to happen in uh, in the first round is that everybody start beating up on each other, and then you can you cultivate this bad blood, and you're not sophisticated enough to get over your your feelings and your egos and your emotions. 
and then you know you 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 decide not to throw your hat behind um, the person the next the, the person that, that went on to the second phase of it. Okay, the general. Right. You, right. you understand what I'm saying? And so, no, so a lot of times, if you if you get too muddy, if you get too muddy in the waters, it's hard to take that dirt up off of you, right? And right. so you want to make sure that you walk a thin line that you don't go too far out. Uh, and start attacking your opponents in a primary where in the general, because they're not sophisticated, uh, sophisticated enough to, to build alliances, even though they've been wounded, um, you wind up losing you losing some allies. What wouldn't it? OK, so wouldn't it be best if you're Tashara Jones and our Kara Spencer, shouldn't you just send a bunch of mail or say vote for Kara Spencer and Tashara Jones and make sure we are the top two candidates to block Lewis Reed out? Or is that just not going to happen? Because that may be the way like Lewis Reed doesn't make it. Now, I'm asking you a question. So to block Lewis Reed out and then Tashara run against who? Kara Spencer. <laughs> now, well, y'all be thinking hard. Antonio French wrote an article in the Post-Dispatch talking about the dangers of Proposition D. Uh, and, and Jimmy Matthews is not going to make it this time because you need signatures. But he basically brought up the scenario like if you're a well-funded candidate and you just want to automatically win, you know, just say vote for me and Jimmy Matthews. Now, in this instance, let's just I'm not I'm not trying to say Kara Spencer is Jimmy Matthews. But if you don't want Lewis Reed to make it to the second round, and I do think that he probably will. Just why aren't Spencer and Tashara Jones just running essentially as a ticket for the first round and then, you know, fighting it out in the second round? I think you are all you all are underestimating uh, the voters, you know, and the electorate. Uh, we have a lot of well-educated voters here uh, that uh, they read, they go out, they go out in the snow, rain sleet or hell they're going to go out and they're going to vote and they're paying attention. And, and you know, and, 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 they, and they can see they can see what individuals playing games, you know, and I don't think people will like that. You know, I don't think people will like that. There is like, it's too shrewd, you know, and, and to try to be that sophisticated and your shrewdness, I think that would turn people off. Plus we don't know. I, I, I don't think, I don't think the average voter in St. Louis city knows that they can vote for multiple candidates. Like I, I, I really don't. I know people who are very well, into St. Louis politics know that. And I think that that's, I think that's gonna be a part of the new campaigning, the way you campaign now. I mean, you gonna, when you put that, when you put your mailers out, when you do your phone banking, when you, when you do door to door, when you doing your, uh, your, your social media management blitz, you know, you're gonna have to be able to make that a part of your, the new campaign, uh, the messaging from the messaging standpoint that people want to have to know that, hey, now you can vote for more than one person. So if a person, if a candidate is not sophisticated enough to be able to make that a part of their platform in terms of messaging, then that's a problem. My last question for you, let's let's go back to you for a second. Will you ever run for anything again or is it over? Is the Jamil Nasheed uh, election, election time over forever? You know, in my tenure as, a tenure as a legislator, I can truly say that you know, I, I, I had a fantastic ride and uh, the most uh, important and uh, thing that I can say that I'm proud of is my constituency services, you know, and I believe that I can do constituency services uh, while not being a legislator. What are you going to do now? 
Like, are, are you? Do you have like another? Do you have whatever like another, I want to do? I mean, I know you can't become like. I don't know if you had any interest in like lobbying. I assume not. Although I think you would be a very, you know, Rodney Hubbard has been a great lobbyist for for many years. So I'm not saying that you shouldn't be, but. A, a, a lot of people are asking me what I'm going to do now. You know, I can't wait till your next chapter, you know, this, that, and the other. And yeah. I just say to them, stay tuned, you know, just stay tuned. You know, I, I'm, 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 I was an entrepreneur before I was anything. I was going to say, like, instead of being a lobbyist, why don't you just open up your, like, your own political consulting agency so you can, like, you know, send Richard Callow or Mike Kelly into oblivion or something. It just everyone's wants Jamila Nasheed or something like we talk about the all the insiders are like, oh, who's on Team Callow or Team Kelly? Well, you know, nobody would be any match for Team Jamila Nasheed. You know, he would you would be you would make uh, you would make Barklage and Jeff Rowe look. <laughs> I like that, though. I like I like your thinking, though. On that note, Se Senator, it's been a pleasure talking with you, and I don't think this will be our last conversation we have, but maybe for a while as an elected official. For all of our stories, stillpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. How can people follow you on social media, Twitter, Facebook, MySpace? It's a pleasure, you know, getting to know you and uh, interviewing with you on issues uh, and topics about the quality of life uh, relating to my constituents. Thank you, Senator. It was a pleasure talking with you as well. And until next time, so long. <laughs>